I V M. Hi, I'm Utsav, a behavior researcher by training and a slow traveler by passion. Postcards from Nowhere is a travel podcast where I condense a decade of travel experiences and explore not just the where but also the why and how to travel. My stories emerge from slow traveling the less explored parts of the world: Bosnia and Herzegovina, Armenia, Uzbekistan, and even China. At the end of each story, I give practical tips and new ideas about how to travel better. This week, in the second episode of the series Fabulous Foods, we follow the lives of a tiny dwindling community spread across India. Their story is a masterclass in cultural assimilation and how their foods and cultural practices could show us the path to living harmoniously. My parents are very humble beginnings, if I have to put it that way. My mom is from one of the coastal villages of Mumbai called Murud Chanjira, and my dad is from a very metro city. Pune now has become more metropolitan than it was when he was yeah, yeah. a youngster then. And I think now about forty, forty-five years back, they moved to Delhi. Miss Malikar's parents' migration to Delhi. had a significant impact on her life she ended up studying in delhi and eventually made a partial return to her roots as she found work in bombay there she met a young mr bhalkar who she ended up marrying and now they have two kids i met her at my first job in bombay where she was in a senior role and came to be known for her no nonsense approach but where we really connected was our shared love for food she was easily one of the most enthusiastic foodies who not only loved experimenting with food but enjoyed cooking as well she gushed about how coconut milk just made so many things better which wasn't really a surprise after all her mother came from the konkan coast where coconut milk is the norm she loved poha or flattened rice but preferred it in a slightly different way than the kande pohe so integral to maharashtra but this seemingly regular life story of miss malikar has an aspect that makes her different from most people you would meet in india about 100 kilometers from bombay lies the sleepy coastal town of alibag in recent times it's seen an upswing in mumbaikers flocking the place for a relaxed weekend sampling some of the freshest seafood the konkan coast has to offer few however would venture outside their weekend holiday homes to navagaon a village about 8 kilometers from alibag this rather nondescript village houses a cemetery along with an obelisk like pillar known as the navagaon memorial miss malekar whose first name is shulamit and her husband sharun would have some of their ancestors buried here legend holds it that prophet elijah was traveling on his horses and he stopped on the way one of the rocks in alibag which is a town near mumbai and those marks are still present now that place is typically also worshiped by the hindus because they believe one of their prophets also landed at the same spot so it's sort of a communal area where we both go and pray so if you recall what i was telling you about the thanksgiving and the gratefulness prayers that we do on over malida that is usually thanking prophet eliza so his importance is like paramount to us Malida Prophet Eliza The very Marathi Hindu sounding Miss Malikar and Mr Bhalkar actually belong to a fast dwindling community 
the Bene Israeli Jews. The community has been living in India for over 2000 years. In Hebrew, Bene Israel means children of Israel. They came back to India from Israel after the fall of King Solomon's second empire in 70 AD, fleeing from German persecution. They were shipwrecked near Alibagh, where they continued to stay before they settled in Bombay and Western India. Those who settled on the Konkan coast worked as oil pressers in villages around Alibagh. They observed Shabbat from Friday evening to Saturday evening and were known as Shaniwar Telis or Saturday oil pressers. The Nabagaon cemetery is known as Jerusalem Gate, a place where her ancestors are buried. The obelisk-like pillar has inscriptions in Hebrew and is a memorial to those who died in the shipwreck. Few kilometers away from the cemetery, carved in a large rock are mystical markings that are reputed to have been made by Prophet Eliza. It was from this spot that he ascended to heaven, and his chariot left a groove in the rock. while his horse left two hoof marks in the stone the rock is a little difficult to find but very much accessible to anyone who wishes to see it but one question remains unanswered what is malida one of the most vivid memories i have a typical indian jewish ben israeli dish is called the malida and it's it's such a simple dish but such an integral part of our community it's made with flattened rice sugar grated coconut lots of dry fruits cardamom and that's it and we use this for thanksgiving anything good that happens in our life or anything that we want to feel grateful for we would usually have that as a centerpiece uh, of our prayers and that's perhaps one of the most vivid memories i have in terms of food then of course food forms such an important part of celebration right be it any religion so from new year to yom kippur which is a day of atonement for us to something like hanukkah and Tomorrow we have Purim, so Purim is just a festival celebrating Queen Esther. And in India, because it usually comes around Holi, we don't make the traditional Jewish dish, which is the Haman Kashen. We always celebrate it with the Puran Poli because that's what our fellow Hindus are doing at that moment. So we just integrate and merge in together and celebrate with um, just getting a bit of the Indian side into our cooking. So it's all about basically coexistence, celebrating together, uh, trying to merge in a, and marry together in a way that you know that speaks of our Indianness but doesn't make us forget our roots. Phil, I also want to. You mentioned uh, you know how puran poli is is something which uh, you know you you make around. I was also reading about. I was just referring to my notes and I saw that I was reading about kipurchi puri. Yes. Uh, yes. So uh, just uh, tell me a little bit about it because. The moment you think Kipurchi Puri, you are of course thinking Yom Kippur in your head, and you say Kipurchi yes. Puri is of course as Marathi or as Konkani you can get. So help yep. me understand how that bridge has happened and what exactly it is. So Kipurchi Puri is one of the hardest dishes to make. If okay. I have to name one dish, it's probably going to be that because it's a little bit akin to a gujia, hmm. but imagine a gujia with. I don't know, fifty layers on it, like fifty crisp layers of pastry on it, and we don't have ready-made pastry that we can take out from the freezer. You would pound the pastry and make it hard, and it's just churning it together with corn flour and I don't know some paste that my mom makes. Um, it's mis slipping my head, but it's just basically sorry, corn flour and ghee. Okay. Yeah. 
so it's corn flour and ghee and you mix it together and you make it really gelatinous so it's a lot of effort so yom kippur we would fast typically for about 25 hours without water and food and we would break it uh, with the traditional indian grape juice that we would make uh, from kale draksh or manuka that you call and after that as per tradition you don't eat any food because it becomes very heavy after a long period of fasting you would break the fast with the first food which is the puri and the puri is usually filled with a mixture of semolina and dry fruits or just grated coconut and dry fruit so as you can see there's a theme here coconuts dry fruit we love <laughs> we love the rich flavors so it's all about uh, just making it easy on your tummy but making sure that you're still full so that was the whole concept around it we must remember that most of the jewish migration globally was driven by antisemitism and the desire to assimilate was high the jews who lived in india never experienced antisemitism here partly thanks to how well they assimilated within the local communities they lived in and sometimes it meant being flexible with the tenet of judaism practiced all over the world kosher kosher are a set of dietary laws which includes separating vessels of dairy and meat also chicken mutton and fish are to be washed in salt water but what does one do when being such a small and scattered community you don't have access to kosher meat i really believe it comes down to that individual or the family on how orthodox they are so i quit meat at about when i was about 11 years old but my parents when they came to delhi they did not have kosher food available so they ultimately switched to halal uh, okay. we had no option but those who are more orthodox and more stringent they would usually just rely on seafood for their you know delhi or meat purposes and most of the places where there, are, where there is a sufficient amount of jewish population you also have people who would voluntarily do it or you also have kebab houses which is um, they could uh, you know possibly you could procure from them so for example in sydney or maybe in australia we don't get kosher goat meat at all Mm-hmm. So there is no concept of goat you would get lamb but no goat. So unfortunately Sharon had to switch because we have to stay here and we have to live here. And in just in terms of convenience as well it just makes it easy for us just to pick it up at the supermarket or the butcher because the Jewish population is sometimes very concentrated in particular areas and it just means that going out of your way to buy everything. So I guess each to their own in that in that sense that if they are more orthodox they would probably rely on seafood more than this flexibility on food habits was by no means only practiced by bene israelis down south in kerala there are about 25 jews living in small pockets of fort kochi matancheri and ernakulam they are known as the cochin jews when they first arrived they used their khala bread to break their shabbat fasts Now they buy bread from a bakery or make appams with rice flour. The Bene Ephraim Jews of Andhra Pradesh use wheat flour chapatis and the Bene Menashe Jews of Manipur make rice pancakes. And the Bene Israelis make khala that is like the Gujarati khakra. Just wheat dough, oil and water pressed hard onto the tawa. In the absence of kosher meat, many have even turned vegetarian. But this assimilation goes beyond food. outside of a jewish home in andhra one could find a kolam with the design of the star of david but the change is not only coming because of assimilation 
some of the changes are coming in with changing social mores and following more fundamental aspects of Judaism. So I have continued to go to a reform synagogue here because I firmly feel that men and women should get equal opportunity everywhere, even in the place of worship. And the synagogue I go to here has a woman rabbi who leads the services, um, which I find very like aspirational and very inspiring for my kids um, to be. And um, I guess it's just doing little things in your daily life to integrate some sort of understanding of what religion, what being Jewish means to us, uh, especially for kids. And um, yeah, it's. I think at the end of it is the whole philosophy of being Jewish is do not do unto others that you don't want to be done to you. And in the end, if we turn out to be good humans, the kids are good humans, I think. That's my perhaps achievement as a parent. Um, so yes, I would love to be close to a synagogue, but yeah, it's not always possible, I guess. The larger trend within the Jewish community is now a reverse migration. The already tiny community of about 5,000 Jews is now migrating back to Israel. Every few months we come to know of one family that we knew who is migrating to Israel. So all of Sharon's side of family has already migrated to Israel. His sister migrated about three months back. So all our friends are in Israel. So hardly anyone left in India for us. I think better prospects, 100%, you know, uh, they feel that they can get better prospects there, especially uh, given that it's also a bit easier to get to Israel because we have a birthright as being Jewish. Uh, We can, you know, provide a better future for our kids and, you know, of course, be in the Holy Land be with fellow Jews, celebrate the same religious events and festivals. So there's a mix of reasons around that. And because once you have one part of the family move, the other part definitely wants to move in as well because they feel that, you know, they can go and support them or just be with them. So, yeah, I believe the number that I usually used to get was around 5,000 Jews in India, about six, seven years back or maybe more. I don't think there'll be more than two and a half thousand anymore to be honest. And those who have left are basically much more, you know, older population, senior citizens. And not to say that, uh, you know, the younger population is also there, but because the Israeli government sponsors uh, youngsters on something called the birthright trip that happens once in a lifetime, you get to visit Israel free of charge. And when you go to a, you know, developed country, you definitely feel like you have uh, better opportunities there. So that becomes another moment of attraction for the youngsters to move as well. So yeah, which is why it's good that we're having this conversation because um, I think it's it will get lost. Hopefully, the history of the food uh, and the recipes are somehow uh, preserved in any manner, like written or spoken. So, yeah. Shulamit and Sharon have been migrants many times over. Their ancestors came to India. Their parents migrated within India. And now they migrated to Australia. But that brings up a question of identity. In a bitterly divided world, where singular identities are pushed upon us, how does someone who identifies as multicultural view their own identity? Oh, such a tricky question. Um, yeah, it's a mix of different things. I think identity for me is just bringing out the best of me from different aspects of my life. So if it's about India, just bringing in the sense of how inclusive and diverse India is and always keeping that at the back of my head 
whenever I'm doing anything, you know, just to never forget my roots ever. And being Jewish, of course, gives me that opportunity to express who I am and possibly, you know, just the spiritual side of my life probably comes from from being Jewish. And of course, we also have a relationship to Israel and we can never forget that. And just uh, thankful and grateful that the Jews have at least one place to call their own. Um, and, you know, we know that if anything happens, we have that country to fall back on. Just gives us that bit of reassurance. And um, speaking about being multicultural and diverse, other than India, I think Australia is a fantastic example where I think I am able to thrive just by being me. And, you know, I don't have to imitate or fake that I'm someone else. And the the community, the people are absolutely lovely. And um, there's a very big Indian population. I reckon it's bigger than the Jewish population as well. So it's it's huge. So it, it makes it easy for us to merge into the community. And, you know, I know back in India, sometimes they would, uh, when, when, you know, foreigners would come to visit the synagogue, they would say, oh, you are Jewish? Really? Are you Jewish? And then my grandma would show them the Star of David she would always wear on her neck piece. But here when I go and, you know, meet congregation members, they don't ask you those questions, you know. There's that factor that, you know, you are Jewish. They take you as you are, which I feel is really heartwarming, especially when you have kids and you know that they will be, you know, growing in that culture. So all the three, four aspects have really uh, molded me into who I am and I'm able to at least be myself at this point in time, thanks to those. Distilling the very essence of Judaism is Ezekiel Isaac Malekar, who is the head of the Jewish community in Delhi. He is Shulamit's father and the same man who migrated to Delhi 45 years ago. He pithily describes the teaching of the Torah, the holy book of Jews, and I quote, According to Rabbi Hillel, the Torah can be encapsulated into only one commandment. What is hurtful and hateful to you, do not do to another. Everything else is footnote. If you like this podcast, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IBM network. You can listen to us on the IBM podcast app or ibmpodcast.com. You can also follow us on our social media. We are at IBM Podcasts on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to reach out to me, I am Utsav Memory on Twitter and YB Travel 42 on Instagram.